Well, thank you so much for uh, just the privilege that it is to to come together and to share with you this morning. I don't take it lightly at all. I don't think I've got it all together or God's given me anything more than he gives to you, but it's just a privilege and an honour to bring uh, a thought to you this morning that can hopefully, um, with his anointing, just bless you and help you in this journey. Uh, Today's theme, if you haven't picked it up already, is around identity and based on 1 John chapter 4 verse 17, which says, as he is in this world, so are we. And it's an incredible verse that opens so many doors to so many chains of thinking, but really, um, really talks around identity. Identity theft is the deliberate use of someone else's identity, usually as a method to gain a financial advantage or obtain credit and other benefits in the other person's name. Has anyone had this happen to them? Yes. And perhaps to the other person's disadvantage or loss. The person whose identity has been assumed may suffer adverse consequences. Has anyone had adverse consequences to their identity being stolen? Was it a swipe, a little, what is it, skimmed credit card in a different country or perhaps even at an ATM? Even in Hobart, I heard someone the other day was a little bit, could not work out how their credit card was skimmed. We said, well, maybe the skimmers have got that far and they're at the ATMs in Hobart. Who knows? Identity theft occurs when someone uses another's personally identifying information like their name, identifying number or credit card number without their permission to commit fraud or other crimes. It's not nice, is it? When people steal identity or take your credit card number or and start to use it somewhere else. It's not a great situation, but it's a situation that many of us have found us in ourselves in from time to time. It's an epidemic, a bit of an epidemic, a growing epidemic. I know that identities are stolen and used in other countries for lots of different reasons. Um, when we were doing some work in Thailand, I know they were using identities to get people across the border and creating fake credit, fake uh, passports, all sorts of reasons that people want to steal someone else's identity. People get ripped off, their private details stolen for someone else's benefit. It's not good, but there's an identity theft that goes on that could possibly be even more concerning. Well, actually, I think is more concerning, and that is the, uh, the theft of who we are, the theft of who we are in Christ and whose we are. And that too, I feel is an epidemic. And particularly, can I say, amongst us girls who find ourselves faced continually with the question of who we are, whether we're enough, whether we've got what it takes, whether we're good enough, whether our Instagram feed kind of looks as good as someone else's and and portrays the lifestyle that, that we wish it did or that we're trying to portray. And sometimes we can get so confused about what we need to be and who we need to be. A few years ago, we had an overnight retreat. Did you notice we don't call this a conference? We call it a day retreat. Did you think you were going to come and get it like a spa treatment? I'm sorry if it's a bit misleading. But we sort of didn't want to call it a conference. We want to have a time, like a literal 
our heart is that this be like a retreat, like we get away from from what's happening in our world. And we actually we actually you know, take cover amongst one another, amongst friends, and actually you know find ourselves in that nurturing and, and loving environment. And that's our, our goal for this time together. So we don't call it a conference, we call it a day retreat, just something a little bit different, a little bit quirky. But we used to have overnight retreats as well. And I can remember at one of them, we actually had had that theme of you're enough. You're enough. Because we so often don't feel like we're enough. And yes, in ourselves without Christ, we're, we're possibly not enough. But with Christ and with what he's given us and what he's implanted in us and, and given uh, to us and the gifts he's given us, we're enough. And how to rest in that and how to find peace in that place of being enough in Christ. And so in some ways I was thinking, wow, we've kind of done this thing before in a way because it's so real for us, isn't it? Identity and who we are and whose we are and am I enough? I'm continually feeling like we ask that question. Our culture does its absolute best to confuse us about who we are. Do you find that? You know, you've got to be the, the, the mum that has it all together with your 2.7 children or whatever the number is now. I think it's less now, isn't it? The average, it's 1.7 or something. You're something, children who, who, who manages to get to the gym, who manages to get their children looking great, who manages to get their children with all good behaviour. And, and as we get older, you know, there's, there's pressures to perform in certain ways and look a certain type of thing and to fit in uh, to a certain culture. And there are so many pressures on us as women to, to feel as though we fit in and to feel as though that we're enough and that, that, um, that we're good enough and that we look the part. Absolutely. From our very early days, society starts to dictate to us a whole range of criteria that feels as though if we adhere to this criteria that, you know, we'll be successful and we'll be prosperous and everything will work out for us. This form of identity theft is at the center, in actual fact, of the enemy's plan for us. His plan is is to separate us from one another, but also to separate us from ourselves, to separate us from who we are and understanding who we are. The enemy loves to keep us confused about that, to keep us concerned about that, to keep us worried about how we can actually, um, do we fit in or are we good enough all of the time? He's a thief. And we've already heard the verse this morning. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy in John 10.10. He's a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I believe one of the ways he does that is to take that sense of who we are and whose we are, who we belong to in Christ. And as girls today, as girls who follow Christ, it's not always easy to find our identity in him. What does that even mean? It's such an easy phrase to throw out there. It's such an easy thing to kind of to write or to, to, to speak about in a sense. But then what does it really mean and how do we actually find that place of identity in Christ? How do we actually discover that? There are so many different things that, that come at us day to day and in our thinking and in our thought processes and in our emotions to kind of get in the way of us finding that place, to finding that safe place in his identity. In, now, I'm sorry, I don't think we've got this for the screen, so I'm going to just read it in the Passion Translation, 1 John 4, 17. It says, by living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us. 
that you've got to read these verses a number of times to really get them, haven't you? Have you noticed that? There's all these repeats and twists and turns and what it's, it, yep. Love has been brought to its full expression in us, okay? Love has been brought to its full expression in us. That's those of us who find ourselves in Christ so that we may fearlessly face, fearlessly face the day of judgment because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. All that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. Now that is an incredible phrase in itself and we could possibly stay here all week and discuss it because all that Jesus now is. Now where's God? Where's Jesus? Jesus is is in heaven with the Father. They are one in unity with the Father. So can we be. We're not in heaven right now. I'm not going to sort of like, don't think we need to go there right this minute, but in union with the Father, in union with God, we can live in that place. And God's love is brought to full expression in us. Full expression. It's not kind of a watered down version of God's love. It's not a sort of like I've got one lot of love for Father, Son and Holy Spirit, another lot of love for my people. You know, it's kind of a watered down version. It's kind of a flawed version because because sin's in the world and people, you know, muck up and do the wrong thing. So the love that people have is kind of a watered down kind of grayer version of the love that God is but in actual fact it's not the case the love that we find full expression is brought to full expression in us is the same that Jesus now is all that Jesus is so are we we need to let that sink in don't we we really need to we have the full arsenal of heaven to throw at life. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to forget that from time to time. When things come up and things go wrong in our household, I don't always immediately go to the arsenal of heaven. I go to another place quite often, which is not always appropriate and not always pretty. Do I have any friends? (laughs) Yeah. But if we could just reach into our arsenal bag and take that arsenal of heaven to throw at life, how much more would that love be made complete in us? And in those who we who have the privilege of living in our households and in our worlds, we have the complete love of the Father to share around with one another. Wow, this I believe is the key to peace, to victory, to life without fear, blame, confusion, or whatever is to find ourselves in the fullness of Christ's love for us. And I think it's time to regain it, girls. I think it's time to take some of that ground back where we've lost it, where we've forgotten, where we've allowed frustrations and confusion to fill our soul, but allow that love of Christ to fill our soul. How do we do it? How do we find ourselves in a place of rest, peace and confidence to say, you know what, I'm okay as I am. I find myself in Christ and I'm okay as I am. I have nothing to prove because I'm fully complete in Christ. And what I want to do is actually, I've got my big Bible because I can't read the little one anymore. (laughs) 
And I haven't been to an optometrist to get glasses, so I've got my big one. This one I've had since I was quite young, and I saved up my pocket money week by week to buy it. And my dad made me this really cool leather cover, which is quite hilarious because he put flowers and I don't know what all that is, but... Anyway, so that's why I've got this big whopper, because I can read it in the dim light. So what I need to do is uh, get online or go into Kurong, perhaps, and find myself. I don't want a large edition, because that's just admitting. (laughs) I want something with big writing, but it's not like the large print edition. You know, we don't want to go there. Or I could get glasses. (laughs) I went to a chemist uh, a few years ago, and I got the lowest number one. But I don't know where they... I've never found them again. They're somewhere in the house. I think perhaps David's got them. I don't know. But yeah, perhaps it is getting to that time, I think, where I'm just going to have to go in. Because I've always like, oh, I don't need glasses. No, I don't need glasses. Everyone else needs glasses. But I just got to that stage where it's tilted over the edge, unfortunately. So I'm going to read um, from 1 John pretty well the whole of chapter 4, sort of. So you can look at the whole of chapter 4 in your own time. There is so much there. But we're just going to skim through and take out some different parts of 1 John chapter 4. And to find our identity in him, I've got four points that I want to share with you about how we can actually do that, how we can actually take some tools today to say, you know, I'm going to actually take this with me because it's easy to come to a conference and soak and sit in and hear all this stuff, but then actually not go away and necessarily make any changes in our life. So hopefully these keys are going to help you to do that. Okay. Number one is don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you hear. There's something about the real thing that seems better. It smells better, it tastes better, it feels better. I was always brought up to think that the leather jacket was better than the vinyl one. Now, look, I know vinyl has its place in this day and age, but in the 80s, it didn't. It didn't work. You know, you needed the leather one, not the vinyl one. And, and I'm a big believer in, in finding that, you know, the real thing, the, the leather shoes, not the vinyl shoes. And there's something about wearing, you know, real silk rather than fake. Don't worry, I've got plenty of fake stuff too. Don't worry. But there's something about the real thing, isn't there, that just is, is special and, and nice. And back in the 60s and 70s, brick houses were all the rage. And so they created a cladding to go on weatherboard houses. Has anyone, does anyone remember that cladding? It was kind of grey and pretending to be bricks. And I, I betcha, because I've seen things a bit like this uh, in more recent times, I'll bet you when they put those first lot up, they thought, oh, that looks just like the real thing. I'll bet you when they first started cladding those gorgeous little weatherboard houses in this fake brick, grey brick cladding, that everyone was saying, you cannot tell the difference. But did you notice that over time, and then there was more and more of it, for those who are old enough to remember, there are still a few around, I think, uh, over time, it was like, there's another one of those houses that have been clad in a counterfeit brick. And there was just something about it that did not look good. And I, I've still seen a few of those houses around in recent times, but I don't think there are many of them left. Most have been, have had that cladding removed and have gone back to their original weatherboard state, which is a good thing. I haven't, apparently we also live in a world with fake, full of fake news. 
uh, thanks to Donald Trump, he's coined a phrase, fake news, and it, it, I kind of I get it because I do feel like we live in a world which is so full of like fake, you know, fake media, fake, uh, and fake telling us we need to be something that we don't need to be. And a world that kind of paints a picture to us, which, which can confuse us about what we really need to be. Fake book, I mean, Facebook is full to the brim with tales and stories and who knows what is on that thing these days, persuading you to aspire to achieve something you can't, shouldn't or wouldn't want to do anyway. It's full of it. Everyone's A-roll is on display. Everyone's, you know, all the good bits we put on Instagram and we put on Facebook. But there's nothing more refreshing than being in the presence of someone who is at peace and knows who they really are. And Margaret was uh, alluding to that earlier. There's nothing better than being in the presence of someone who, who knows who they are in Christ, who knows they belong to him, who knows that they can find their identity and security in him. The key is not having the right look or the right things. The key is in who we compare ourselves to or more, who we find ourselves in. And all we need to worry about is who we are in Christ and not believe everything we hear, not believe everything that we're told about who we are and who we should be. Learning to discern the difference between what's fake and what's real. Now it says at the beginning of 1 John chapter 4, it says, Dear friends, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. It's high time we stopped drawing our truth from the wrong places. It's high time that we stop doing that, even from good places. It's easy to hear someone else say a good thing or, or, or you know, even read a book about good things and to draw truth from those places. But actually, we need to draw truth from the Father. And what better way than directly from his word and directly from our communion with him, prayer and communion with him. The only truth that really exists is actually God's truth. We need to ask that question, does it come from the Father? Is it birthed in the Word of God? Are we praying and asking God for his opinion or are we being swayed by the popular culture of today. Now it's very cool to be reading books and buying Margaret books book is something that we need to do. We want you to sell out, don't we? You don't want to take take those back with you. You've you've got enough uh, weight in your suitcase without needing to take those back with you. So we're going to make sure that Margaret sells out today. Just the fact she's got 455 books is we should we should make it. I think we should get there. We're going to make sure she sells she doesn't have that many. Make sure she sells out today. But um and buy books and read books. And, and go to conferences and hear speakers and, and talk with one another and get advice from one another and share in, in your connect groups and do that. But make sure that you, above all those things, are going directly 
to the Father for his truth, directly to him, to his word, and in your prayer, be talking to him. It's so easy to get drawn um, along a path that is that sounds good, that seems good, a, a path of self-healing, a path of self-awareness, and a path of life coaching when there's nothing wrong with all of those things. There's nothing wrong with, with good coaching and, and good advice at all, but we need to continue to find ourselves uh, getting our truth directly from the Father. Are we praying and asking, oh, I've already read that. Align yourself (laughs) with godly counsel, not loud counsel or popular counsel, but godly counsel. Get alongside those who've walked the journey with God. Get alongside, uh, in this case, women and and men and women who've walked the journey with God, who've done the hard yards, who who have stuck with it through thick and thin. Stay planted in your church even when it hurts. Stay planted in in your groups and and to your connections of those who who love God and those who have served him for the long term. Stay connected. Determine in your heart to stay the course and stay the path. I was just having a conversation this morning with someone just a minute ago about how much, what a lie it is to believe that we can do the journey on our own in our lounge room just us and God. Now, in theory, we should. In theory, we can. In theory, of course, your relationship with Christ is um, is is all that matters in a sense. In in the sense of your relationship with Christ and your your journey with God, in a sense, because I don't really mean this completely, you can just be you and God and you can spend time with God and read the word and you can grow in him and you can get uh, your truth directly from the word. But God has also given us the blessing of family, church family in which to grow. And and it's amazing how often I've had um, several times someone come to me and say, you know, I thought I could do that on my own. I thought that you didn't actually need church. You didn't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, when that's true, God has also ordained the church and called the church to take a special place in our lives and a special place in our journey. And it is so important that we stay rooted and planted where God has planted us and stay aligned with, with your church and stay rubbing shoulders with those people who, who you know have done the journey and how quickly we can go, grow cold, how quickly can we feel like we don't belong and we don't fit in anymore. I had someone say to me one day, you know, I didn't realize um, I started to feel like I, you know, I didn't belong and I didn't fit into this church anymore. And this was a few years ago, and and it occurred to me that I haven't been going along. And I thought, well, that kind of makes sense to me. You know, you take a coal out of the fire, it's going to cool down. But somehow, sometimes we think we can do it on our own, but we need to actually align ourselves and be a part of the family. So determine in your heart to do that, to stay the course and stay the path. Determine this in the good times so that when the storms come, you don't get swept away by the counterfeit. So don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe um, everything people tell you, but stay aligned with those who you trust and who know the Father and get alongside the Father himself. To find our identity in him, number two, focus on that which is greater. 1 John 4 verses 4 to 6 say, 
You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. But we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What a fantastic verse that I find myself quoting regularly. It's a fact that what is in us will control us. What is in you will control you. And to a certain extent, you can hide it. We can hide it. We can bury it. We can pretend that it's not there, but what's in you will direct you. If it's fear that's in you, you will live under its bondage. If it's jealousy, you'll live under its curse. If it's hopelessness, you'll live under its control. If it's anger, you'll live under its hold. If it's controlling us and it's not God, we need to replace it because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Only happens if we let him be in us. We moved house about 12 months ago and we've got about three tennis court size area out the back, which we never wanted. We wanted to get a house with a small yard, but the house was right. So we bought this house and at around about the same time, our living arrangements changed quite dramatically and we ended up with a whole household full and it was crazy, literally I didn't sit down for six months and I didn't sit down for six months. I'd just fall into bed at night. And, um, and I looked at that yard when we bought it, knowing that really what I wanted was this nice little neat sort of patch of grass that you could just mow and plant a few little things. And it was dirt because the previous owners had, I think for the sale, just killed everything. So they just sprayed everything. So by the time that it went to market, it was just dirt. And I looked at that thing and I thought, oh man, that is going to go crazy. So for the first six or eight months, we just didn't even look at it pretty well. <laughs> didn't look at it. And you can, you can imagine what happened. The weeds grew and the grass got higher and I just ignored it because I just didn't have the time. And then about three or four months ago, we said, right, the time has come. The time has come. We're going to transform this place. We're going to make it the best garden we've ever had. And we got stuck into it. We've weeded, we've dug, we've brought truckloads, full truckloads of bark, full truckloads of gravel, of soil. We've sown new lawns. We've put in new garden beds. And every spare moment we've had, we've worked so hard on this garden that my shoulders are aching still from all I've been maddocking. Do you know what a maddock is? It's they're vicious things, those mannics. I've been doing that and I've been digging and I've been, we've been carrying bricks and it's starting to look good. But if we hadn't have done that, guess what? It wouldn't have looked, it wouldn't be any good. It wouldn't have changed. We had to replace the dirt with lawn. We had to replace the weeds with grass. We had to uproot all the twitch and kill some of it. We had, and the thistles, and who knows what else is there and probably still yet to raise its head, never mind. But we've had to actually do that in order to change the direction of our garden. But it'd be no use, would it, if I sat in my house and thought, you know, 
I pray in Jesus' name that my garden would just miraculously change, be transformed in Jesus' name. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that? There was a joke that my dad often tells about uh, Mrs. Smith who um, worked, who lived in the manse of the church. And she used to work in the garden and she used to tend the garden. It was a beautiful, beautiful garden. And the, the rector walked past one day and, and he said to Mrs. Smith, you've done such, you and God have done such a beautiful job with this garden. Since you've moved in here, it is absolutely amazing. And Mrs. Smith turned to the rector and said, well, you should have seen it when God had it on its own. Well, I tell you what, God had our garden all on his own and it didn't look great. You know, it took, it took us to put the effort in. It took us to actually make the choices, to look at the, the Google up the images of what we wanted and make the changes. It took us to actually be bold enough to get the mattock out and start swinging it, to, to order the enormous truckload of bark that we had to then move. It took, it took guts and determination to do that. And it's the same in our lives. If we want to see change, if we want to see growth, if we want to see the weeds removed, we actually have to get off our backsides and we can't just sit there and say, in Jesus' name, bring the transformation. That's one thing we must do, but we have to actually start to put into action those things which will bring the change. So often we're not happy with what's happening to us or around us, but we neglect to change that which is in us. And that's the one thing we can do. We can't change what's happening around us. We can't change other people's responses or actions or choices that they make and and words that they say to us. But we can change that which is in us. We don't need to live in fear because greater is he who is in us. But if he's not in us, if he's not replacing the fear, well, guess what? The fear will remain. We don't need to worry about the future because greater is he who is in, in us. Replace the weeds with him and new lawns can spring up in our lives. So there you go to all those people who say, I always have a gardening analogy in my message. There it is for you. I've done it. <laughs> Apparently that's a thing. Where's the bushwalk? Oh, I haven't got any bushwalking ones. Sorry. But they, they sort of, these people, these naysayers kind of suggest that the bushwalking ones are just grown up gardening stories anyway. So number three, to find your identity in him, love one another. 1 John 4, 7 to 12 says, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. As we love one another, it actually, God is revealed in us. It's this beautiful, um, God is love, but but God's love finds expression through, through us. Isn't that incredible? So God's love, although it exists without us, I guess, doesn't really, isn't seen without people to actually express it. It's an, it's an incredible relationship we have 
with the love of God, an incredible privilege we have to be carriers of God's love to one another. As we love others, we reveal God. God is love and love comes from God and love exists because of God and originated with God. But to know God is to know love. As we love more, we actually discover God more. As we love one another, God's love finds its expression in us and we discover more of God. And love, therefore, is a gift given to us. Now, what would be the use at Christmas time if we all got together? I know Christmas is not about presents. Don't think I'm saying that. But we all got together and we went to church first <laughs> and acknowledged that Christmas is not about presents. But then we had lunch and all gave each other gifts, which we never opened. Can you imagine that? Oh, thank you so much. This is fantastic. I'll put this in my shopping basket or in my washing basket. Does anyone else use a washing basket, carry their presents around? I've got this picture of this sort of washing basket beside every person. I know it's not a glamorous picture, but it's just the one I've got. And receiving the gifts from people and saying, oh, thanks so much, and popping it into our washing basket to take home, but never opening the gift. Crazy. It doesn't, the gift is not realized until it's opened. I love giving gifts to people. You're right, Margaret. We do love to give to one another, and it's much easier to give than to receive, isn't it? But the real joy of giving a gift to one another is when the person opens it, and then you're looking for their face, and and if they're they're delighted in what they've received. And you see it with kids, don't you? Well, sometimes they're not delighted, and (laughs) they let you know as well, by the way. But a gift doesn't... uh, its potential is not realised if that gift is not opened, if it's not unwrapped. And the point of a gift is that it is open. And God's gift of love needs to be opened, to be celebrated, to be realised and to be be revelled in. By this shall all men know that we belong to God. It says in 1 John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Amazing. We find our actual identity in the love that we share. It unwraps the potential of a gift that God has given us as we share it with others and see it opened. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love has been made complete in us. So we find ourselves, we find our identity in the completeness of God through our love for one another. Now, it's not always easy to love one another, is it? (laughs) Not always. Not always easy to find joy in the presence of one another all the time. We can't do that. We're not expected in our churches to all, you know, be exactly the same and live completely, uh, you know, uh, in harmony all the time. But we choose to live in unity. We choose to love one another and to be found complete through that love. And my last one, to find your identity in him Live as he lives, 1 John four thirteen to 17. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, 
the Son of God lives, God lives in them. I can't get my phrases right today. And they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. As he is, so is she. And we read it before in the Passion Translation that says, because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. We need to learn, girls, to live as Jesus lives right now in the here and now in whatever it is that we have. We have all the resources of heaven at our disposal, all of the resources of God at our disposal. And what better way than for us to discover that and to share that with one another and to continue to resource one another with the love of Christ. I would like to pray for you now and then I'm going to invite Em, wherever she's, she is. She's raced up there, has she? She's raced away. She, can't, she can run, but she can't hide. <laughs> I'd like to invite, Emily's going to share a few thoughts with us in just a moment. Here she comes. And, um, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time just, getting, just gathering together in some small groups just to share a little bit around identity in who, who, we, who we are in Christ and have some prayer and discussion around that. So, Em, thank you. No worries. Oh, I got caught. I thought oh, maybe I'll just have time to do a last minute wee. <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> no, no, it's all right. So if everyone just wants to stand up, move around, because it's been a bit of a while that you sat, so I can get ready. <sighs> Give someone a cuddle. Still holding my pen. Okay. Okay, sit down if you want. <sighs> yes, you know, I just have to bring myself down to a little bit of a lower level. Uh, I have three children and one of those is a 22-month-old. And uh, I get used to just running and running and running because she's into everything. And I realise that my life runs at this level. And uh, that's when my voice starts to do that too. So I need to bring it down. And... Uh, and I've also got like two Bibles here because I feel like they get a little bit jealous sometimes if you use one and not the other. <laughs> and I always, you know, like it's kind of like I was looking for how it said it in this one and how the, this version, the message is really cool and, you know, but then I was like, oh no, and you know, they basically say the same thing, but uh, this, the message is up here just because I felt sorry for it. <laughs> ah, so... Uh, Every time I went to prepare for this in the last few days, um, I just felt that whatever I wrote wasn't quite what, um, what God was getting at and uh, the battle's been large. And I even had an argument yesterday with God and it sounds really ridiculous and this morning I was just having a bit of a giggle because I was like, you, you are not a woman, you have no idea God. And, you know, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't speak to God like that. And I felt God say, I know what you're going through. It's okay. So let's see if in the next 20 minutes I can transfer into words what God's burning in my heart. So if you want to turn to, I'm going to talk about Exodus. And uh, it's 
13 through to 33 chapters, but we're not doing all of that. Uh, <laughs> but the basic story is, um, is about Moses and the Israelites. And uh, when I look around the room here, I see seasoned Christian women that have been through the heat of the battle and that knows the trials and knows what it's like to be in the dark places as well as the pinnacles of the most amazing places. And uh, I don't have any comic relief in this. I'm not very good with funny stuff, so we're just going to get into it. And I feel like it's okay because you've all been there. So uh, just remember that there is incredible grace and there, um, you know, God's all working on all of us. And one of my uh, issues that's really funny is that I can be really insecure, thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to get up after Margaret. And then I felt God say, it's okay, and you can do this because you've been given authority and it's all right. So I'm going to have a go. All right. <laughs> okay. So let's start quickly at Exodus. Uh, we're going to turn to 33 first. We'll go to the last bit. So God has taken the, from 13 to 33, God has taken the, uh, is using Moses to lead, lead the Israelites um, out. And they're in the desert and they're in freedom, but they're not really free. And he has this conversation with God and it's starting 33 verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and and have found favour with me. And if you are pleased with me, teach me your way so that I may know you and continue to find find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me from your people, from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Who wants that relationship that Moses had with God? Isn't that incredible? You know, that's a goal for me. But, you know, I'm probably more like the Israelites. Um, They'd been set free from slavery. They're on their journey to the promised land. And please note, they saw miracles. They tasted manna. They were part of the miracle. But some of them mostly because of circumstances rather than any real faith in God. They were a nation. There was people there that probably didn't really even care. But they were free from slavery and that's what they cared about. And then there was it, it vacillated to people that were absolutely, totally in love with God, and and right up to where Moses was a friend of God. But Moses was the one in relationship. And every single time that Moses got into God's presence and he came back down, they seemed to have these issues where they weren't close with God and they were all a bit mixed up. And then once again, he would bring them back into alignment and their hearts would come to him and then they'd, they'd be, oh, that's it, that's God, and they'd be so there. But then Moses would go again to spend time with God. And then once again, they were all over the place. They had no identity. They just didn't understand that God was God was God in their life. They understood it and believed it for Moses' life. But it's almost like they struggled with their own life. And it's really easy to look at this story and go, it's just a story. 
And what God really impressed on me was these were people. These were people. These were real people with real issues that were living in a desert and that he had provided for, that they had seen miracles, yet they still couldn't make it work. And for me, that just made me think of my own life. God has done lots of miracles in my life. <laughs> and I know, and I know, and I know the truth, and I know what the Word says, but it's so many times you just go, oh, why am I not living this? Why is it not getting in here? Why doesn't it just, why doesn't it just work? Because sometimes it's just like so easy to, to know it, but to not really know it. And I love that Moses begged God to go with him. And so they built an, a tabernacle and an Ark of a Covenant, which was, had it held the promises of God, and it was where God's presence dwelled. We all know this. And in this time, it says in here, and you can look it up if you want to, but we probably don't have time. It said that, um, that his people followed the instructions perfectly so that a place was built worthy of his, pre- pre- worthy of his presence to dwell. And I'd like to suggest even then that it wasn't just the measurements, the building, the putting together of the tent, the things that they created, the box. It was also the condition of their hearts. And in Exodus 35, in verse 5 and verse 21, both times it's written that everyone who was willing and whose heart was moved came and brought an offering to the Lord. I'm just going to have a drink. So, like, there were people, and, and they managed to build this thing exactly how God asked them to do it. So there were people there that were absolutely 100% committed to God, and then there was the rest of the nation. But as real as my relationship with God is, he showed me something and how similar I am to an Israelite. That my actions and my stirred desire are often reactions, like the Israelites to Moses, to God, through things like incredible people speaking up here, through podcasts that I listen to, through Instagram posts that I look at, through Facebook. I see these amazing things and it connects me to God and that's not wrong. But what happens is, is sometimes we're so spoon-fed that we forget to actually sit into the presence of God and let him change us. And that is exactly where we lose the power because you don't allow the Holy Spirit in to do the work. We hear the most amazing messages and we, um, we take on the things that... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Claire. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we... It's like we're so spoon-fed in this time. There's so much access to technology and to the things that, you know, maybe once long ago there was just the Bible and there wasn't computers. You know, like when I was growing up, there was a computer, but you know what I mean. Like it was just not as easy to Google things that, whereas now it's so much easier to access all of this stuff. And it's incredible what people speak and the revelations that people get. But other people's revelations are not your own revelations. And there is nothing more incredible than your own revelation from God. And, uh, and I just want to challenge you to get your own revelation from God. Just to cut out the middleman, listen, it's like Margaret said, you can have knowledge, you can read the Bible, but if you don't apply it, if you don't have the, the Holy Spirit working in you, then it just, it really doesn't do anything. There's no power in it. And uh, who are you in God? God made us who we are so that we could make known who he is. 
Let's not forget that. God made us who we are so that we could make known who he is. And you know one of the scariest places to be in faith, I believe, is an adult. The scariest places to be because as a child... You know, there's lots of grace. You can fall down. You can do the wrong thing, and, and people will help you. And you're actually more open to being helped. When you're an adult, they can. There's things that can totally affect your journey. You can have total control if you want to of your life. I am a control freak, so like I like to control things, and this is something that God has really worked on with me. And you can control everything if you want, or you can allow God to control that. You can pretend to self-reflect. That's a really good one. Even to the point where you fool yourself. Oh, yeah, I've had a look. I'm pretty good. Uh, Nothing major. Nothing major in my life. Nothing. You know, it's a choice to be accountable to someone. And it's a lot easier to hide. And it's really easy to come to church. It's really easy to go to life group even. But unless you are accountable to someone and actually say, look, actually, I know I'm struggling with this, then it's it's really easy to pretend to self-reflect. In Galatians 5 verse 6, oh look, I did use the message, see? There you go, you can be happy. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. And that's why sometimes it seems like we war with ourselves, because we are at war. The things that God says about us isn't necessarily the things that are within us to start with. It's a war that we have to battle to believe And hard issues can get defined by names, such as being untrustworthy, being unkind, or right down to things that we don't like to talk about, like murder, addiction, food addiction, prescription medication addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction. We measure our lives, our life issues, by whether we fit into categories such as this, and we measure our work from our judgment of whether we cross over into any of these. So, oh, do you know what? I'm not like a drug addict, so I'm okay. You know, the thing is, it's subtle. It's also lazy. It's afraid. It's comfortable. It's tired. It's not actually, I believe, the pinnacles or the tragedies in our lives that often are the actual defining moments. It's those things, they force us to make a choice. They force us to step up. They for, therefore, they're remembered. But I believe it's in the grey It's in the grey where you have a choice every day to aim higher, to go deeper, to be vulnerable before God, or you get stuck in the grey. And by the way, that's what this message is called, out of the grey. You know, your friends just slowly slip away bit by bit, and so do you, until you realise that they're no longer on the journey. How many people know friends like that, that used to go to church, that used to go to youth that don't go there anymore? It's the righteousness within you that slowly gets compromised through the small choices. Until you're doing the actions, you're going to church, but reality is there's nothing changed. There's no growth. You're not going on old revelation. You're not going on any revelation. And you even might be going on old revelation. And you don't even know how you got here. And the truth of it is, is that we did that. No one to blame except ourselves. We get there. You get stuck in the grey, and it might be for a moment, it might be for years, and let's hope not a life. Some things are black and white, right and wrong, but some things are in the grey. 
And basically the point is, if it's grey, then it's probably just a subtle black in disguise. It's the grey that holds you back. It's the grey that we can almost justify as white. An offence, not having the time to spend with God. That's an easy one for me. Three children, busy, moving house. I just don't have the time. How on earth do I fit that into my life? I'm working full time or whatever it is. It's so easy to justify. Feeling justified in your judgment of someone. You know, the pain of discipline is far better than the pain of regret. And I am sure in here, there is some person that is some really, really incredible at some Olympic thing. But if you're just not disciplined, you don't ever get there. And it may not be the best person at something that gets to be in the Olympics, but it's the most disciplined. And you think Moses was immune to the grey? I don't think so, because I had a little look. He took a while to believe in himself as a leader. I mean, he even got Aaron to help him because he just didn't believe that he was a leader. And even with the amazing friendship that he had with God... And Exodus 17, verse 6, it talks about a story, and I remember being told it as a kid, and I just never understood it. It was where that the Israelites were whinging about not having any water. And so God said to him, strike the rock and the water will flow out. And so he did that, and that's really cool. And, uh, and, then, uh, sorry, and then in um, Numbers 20, that whole scenario comes up again. And uh, verse 8 to 12, and God directs Moses to tell the rock to yield water. And you know what he does? He strikes it. As a kid, I didn't really understand that. I was like, and he's, you know, okay, he struck the rock. And God said, his response is that, Moses, you will not lead these people to the promised land. It was like slightly harsh. I could not understand. <laughs> I was like, he just hit the rock and oh, what is that? But I, I looked into it and you know what it is? It's control. It's Moses taking back control because he hit the rock and he didn't tell it. And God said to tell it. And Moses got to that point in his leadership where he thought, no, you know what? I know what God's told me, but I'm going to hit it because it worked like that last time. Old revelation, not new revelation. We just don't want to be in the grey. And the grey is everyday life. Sometimes the, the, we can get stuck in and it can just be so frustrating because you just feel like you're doing the same things and the same things and the same things. And there is a message once that I always remember and it was a pastor, Kent Medwin, preached it here, right in this very spot, years and years and years ago. It would have been about 20 years ago when he was first speaking. And he said, if... And I want to challenge you with this today. If the call of God that you know in your heart is here, but what you're doing today is here, is that going to lead you to what you want here? So if you, what you're doing in your prayer life, what you're doing in your life, what the actions that you are doing, is that what you're doing today, you want to get here, but you're only doing here. You're going to just end up there. You're not going to end up up there. You have to change what you're doing today to reach the call that God has upon your life. You are the only one that can fulfill your call on your life. You are the only one that is responsible for that. And I just know that within the last few months, God has been stirring the hearts of, of people within this, uh, probably the nation, but in this state particularly, and people of this church. And we've had, um, Corey Turner came down, uh, was a little while ago, and he prophesied over church. Uh, and he uh, spoke this incredible word, and I've kept listening to it over and over. I've got it on my phone, and uh, 
one of the things that he said was out of Exodus 13, which that's why it's made me go to Exodus and just really have a good look at it. And that was that um, Exodus 13, 21 to 22. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. You know what? It's the New Testament now. We live in grace. But we must be awake and aware and that pillar of God, a pillar of fire that God is pouring out is actually within us now. And he can only do that if we deal with our stuff. And the other thing that Corey said is that your response to his heart determines whether you spectate the move of God or whether you become the move of God. And that really challenged me because there are so many times that I just want to be in the grey and just sit in church and to not really do anything and to listen to the word and to listen to the message. But I am so aware that God wants to move in this state. I am so aware that he has given you authority to do that that he has given you gifts, that he has given you things, that he only he has placed in your heart. And we have the responsibility to carry that out. There is, there is so much that he wants to do in this state. There is people that he wants to reach. And he is just desperate for that. And I just want to be desperate for him. And that is our identity. Our identity is drawing close to him and fulfilling the call that he has on our lives without slipping into the grey and being happy with just the status quo. And, and I just don't believe that that's what God's got for us. And I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so I know that I didn't have any comic relief there, but anyway, the, I, just believe, I just totally believe it. I actually am so passionate about it that... You know, it means you, and I feel like even in this room, there's people that are going, no, well, actually, there there isn't really a call on my life. But there is. There is a call on your life. And as a state, we are called to save this state. We are called to be the voice. We are called to fulfill the gifts that he has given you. It's the talents thing. It's that he has given you a gift, and you are called to do that in a great way. Like, we're all human, We're all going to stuff up, but at least we have a go. At least we have a go. And that's all.